Welcome to the Pure Infrastructure Podcast. The podcast is hosted by Pure Infrastructure. That's a consulting company that helps companies on their journey to the cloud. Podcast is also sponsored by VMware, which is a leading multinational that invented x86 virtualization and currently leads the charge in multi-cloud. Today's guest is Bastian Blankenburg, who is the co-founder and CTO at Utu Technologies, one of the leading, I'd say, blockchain um, or technology firms in the blockchain space in Kenya. Um, and we just want to chat about like, the general, his background and the general blockchain space and what's going on in that, in, in that area in general. And so just as a start, who is Bastian? Give us your background and how did you end up with in both Utu and Maramoja? Yeah, thanks, Faris, for mm. having me here. Yeah. Um, yeah, very happy to be here. Yeah. So, yeah, my personal background is um, I'm a German computer scientist, uh, went to uni in Germany, studied computer science, did a diploma, which is, uh, yeah, that German diploma is somewhat similar to a master's, then went on to work at the German Research Center for Artificial Intelligence, also studying a PhD um, in what is basically game theory-based negotiation algorithms for autonomous agents. So the idea is that uh, you're building software agents that fulfill some goals for their users or clients um, so that you don't need to tell your software or websites or whatever anymore all the details of what you want to do, like booking a trip, for example. Like you go online, you book a train ticket, you book a flight, you book a hotel, you need to put in all the details for each of those, you need to choose from multiple options for each of those. Basically, the idea is you tell your agent, ah, I want to go there and there, that time range, um, I've got a preference for nice but uh, non-business hotels, whatever, uh, just go and book the trip for me and then it goes off and comes back with the whole thing done. Uh, that's the vision. Yeah. Um, in detail, yeah, there's a lot of problems to solve and my own work was concerned with uh, negotiation between multiple of these agents, each of them trying to fulfill their own goals or their users' goals and each of them also trying to be rational, meaning uh, making a profit of some form or yeah, at least getting the economically best result for their clients. And then looking at like uncertainty um, measures like uh, possibility theory, risk measures, but also trust models and uh, thereby coping with like uncertainty. Okay, and in real world, you never know really what an option is exactly going to turn out like. Um, there are uncertainties everywhere. So yeah, um, that was basically my academic work and then I worked for a couple of years in industry in Berlin um, at a company which makes public um, transport planning software, so for bus and train operators. And then I met on one of my trips to a client in Ireland, incidentally, my well, who's now my wife, um, she's Kenyan. And um, well, there's another story there, but uh, that's ultimately <laughs> yeah. how I ended up in Kenya. Yeah in 2014, yeah. and then I met um, the founding team of Maramuja, the taxi app, yeah. um, which is about finding trusted drivers, so you don't just get assigned any driver, you get to choose your driver, and Maramuja shows you which drivers are known by your contacts, like Facebook friends or phone book contacts, so you can get a trusted driver. And uh, they were looking for a new tech lead at the time, and because the tech team was a bit junior, and um, that's 
how I came in and my background sort of fit um, very well because I had experience in transport and building complex systems and uh, trust models and so on. So yeah, that's that's how I got here and how it all started. Okay, fantastic. And you've mentioned trust. Why is trust important in a marketplace? Well, trust is sort of the underlying necessity really for any marketplace to, to work because um, you can try to make transactions as secured as possible but at the end of the day there's always some um, amount of uncertainty remaining uh, whether your counterparty will uh, keep the end of the deal um, and so that's where trust comes in. At some point you have to trust that that last gap will be bridged by the situation or by the person that you're dealing with. So for a driver in, in the taxi space, um, yeah, traditionally there has been a lot of crime uh, with taxis in Nairobi from both sides. Like there might be criminals posing as taxi drivers, but um, abducting or stealing from clients. And there's also uh, criminals posing as clients who might carjack the ca taxi driver, for example. So. Uh, we had basically all of our drivers have some story to tell from the past and uh, yeah. that's why we think, okay, uh, taxi is one um, obvious place where this is very direct because people are, yeah, you're getting into the car with somebody and in a place like Nairobi <laughs> with all the bad traffic and yeah. crime, that can mean something, right? Yeah. Uh, but then there's also a lot of other um, domains where this is just as important. Like if you're looking for a babysitter, yeah. it's quite obvious. But uh, yeah, even something more mundane, you are buying something remotely from somebody, some electronic device, then you want to know it's actually working. It is not something that was returned already because it's not working. Mm. It's uh, not fulfilling the spec. Yeah. All these things uh, you ultimately... Yeah, need to trust uh, because even if you can give it back, that's still more of a hassle, right? Yeah. And nobody wants to spend that time. Yeah, which is incidentally one of the biggest problems with like e-commerce in Kenya. Yeah, nobody wants to order goods because you don't know what you'll get. So everyone has to do cash with order, exactly. which just ends up being too expensive for both the vendor and the customer. Yeah, yeah. That also hurts the the good vendors, right? Yeah. Because um, they might fulfill the end of the deal. Yeah. But if people are generally reluctant because there are so many vendors who who do not yeah. uh, keep the end of the deal, then yeah, the whole business goes down. Yeah. And it also hurts the the good ones. So yeah, it's I think I think there's like a paper on this the market for lemons, mm. where you sort of push off all yeah, the yeah. good. Yeah, vendors and then you just end up in a market a low trust environment is just thuggery simply yeah, put yeah. 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 Um, so which brings me to the next question so you've, you've been speaking about trust like just broadly so if you can dive into the two companies um, Maramoja and Utulek what underlies them and what do they do if you can just give us a slight deep dive yeah sure so Maramoja is where we really invented this uh, trust mechanism yeah and as I mentioned, um, it is based on personalized trust or social trust, as we call it. So yeah. we show you, okay, uh, your friend Paul likes this driver. And uh, that is quite important because there's other online mechanisms that have been traditionally used um, to try to instill trust, like yeah. the text reviews at the star ratings uh, yeah. that we all know. But um, they can be forged, or when you see some reviews from some random people, most of the time you don't know these people, and 
uh, you don't even know whether they are real. So we know on Amazon there are a lot of uh, fabricated reviews or reviews that are, that are bought and you never know where a review or a rating comes from. So um, putting your friend's name there is uh, Mara Moja's original idea to say, okay, this is not just anybody who recommends this driver, but it's your friend. So mm. your friend has used this driver and they liked it. So um, they favorited the driver. And that gives another direct relationship between you and this driver. And therefore, in uh, our opinion and experience and also um, confirmation from our own app, um, that's just another level of trust. Um, and this idea, as I mentioned, also can be extended to other domains. So taxi is one thing, and Maramoja is all about taxi. Uh, Maramoja is yeah, a taxi company with a trust mechanism. But we figured, okay, there are so many other domains where this can be applied, and we actually got requests from companies like uh, all over the world, from Pakistan, Brazil, all sorts of platforms, like, for example, car mechanic um, platforms or uh, yeah, babysitter apps, incidentally, um, that were interested in exactly this kind of trust mechanism or recommendation mechanism and, um, and asked us if we can do it for them. And that's when we thought, okay, this is really or should be its own product. Um, so we founded Utu with the goal of taking this part sort of out of Maromoja, building it into its own product as a SaaS company, so software yeah. as a service, or as we like to call it now, trust infrastructure as a service, yeah. because we believe that this foundational layer of trust is so... Uh, yeah, well, foundational for um, all online transactions that, yeah, we might as well give it its own name, um, okay. sort of. So, yeah, that's that's how Utu came to be yeah. and how we made it its own company and yeah. product. So, if I understand you correctly, you're basically trying to build what is like a clone of the Facebook social graph, a way for people to know who's trustworthy based on historical trust data. Because yeah. if the way um, things like Uber work is a bit, uh, I don't know if I use the term. Well, the way many of these apps work is they'll look at things like your charge level, your other things. But basically, the way you're approaching trust is who has previously had a good experience with either this vendor, this driver, or this other actor in the marketplace. Yeah. And making that information public. Yes, um, sort of. So okay. we're not really cloning Facebook social graph per se yeah. because, uh, yes, we do um, record social relationships between people from different sources, like Facebook is one of the sources, uh, phone book contacts are another, <laughs> referrals are another, and then we are building um, other modules to plug into, learn relationships from. Depending on the use case, the sources can also make more or less sense. So, yeah. for example, for some use cases, uh, LinkedIn is a good uh, relationship source. But if you're looking for a nanny, then maybe not so much um, because mm. yeah, you're not really interested in professional level, but more like privately trustable relationships mm. there. So, ultimately, we want to learn who trusts whose opinion mm. on what, for what, at, in, in what situation. So for looking for uh, an auto mechanic, you might trust your friend who has uh, the same car as you do and the same uh, idea of quality versus price, for example. Yeah. Uh, but if you're looking for a nanny, then 
you might trust somebody else um, for giving you a recommendation. So we do not always trust the same persons or institutions uh, for yeah for the same things. We depending on the situation, we trust different yeah. people basically. But like when when you think about like the applications, especially for commerce in general, it's actually quite revolutionary because when you look at um, listings, for instance, whether it's OLX, which is now GG, or you know many of the e-commerce platforms today that sort of have third-party vendors, there needs to be sort of like an independent actor who can give you a sense of whether or not to risk your money um, with a particular transaction. Yeah. And so the net effect, if I can find a way of paraphrasing this, is if you solve for trust in many of these open marketplaces, then the uptake of these open marketplaces accelerates. Yes. Because a lot of the friction that's there right now is just a byproduct of low trust. Yes, exactly. So okay. our premise, our value proposition is increasing KPIs like conversion rates, retention, etc. Yeah. Because ultimately we make the marketplace work better yeah. giving relevant information to the clients or also to the providers. Yeah. Um, so it's two-ended really um, at the right time and thereby enabling them to make better decisions so the whole market works more efficiently. And if you are running this market, uh, then you will profit from that directly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the idea is of Utu basically to be not a trustable middleman because, um, okay, people need to trust Utu in the sense that they need to trust our tech, that it's doing what it should do. Um, but we are not actually saying, okay, Utu thinks this is a good provider and you should trust them, but Utu only shows you the information that somebody that you actually already trust for giving you this information, like your friend Paul, um, <clears throat> is then shown at the right time, at the right place in the app. So, um, so in a way, we want to reduce uh, the need to trust Utu itself, but you sh should... Yeah, hopefully trust the information that we show you. So that's also where blockchain comes in. Um, I'm going a bit ahead here, I know, but um, uh, the, the idea of blockchain tech is to, um, to build what is called a trustless system, meaning people do not actually have to trust <coughs> the counterparty because uh, the technology itself removes uh, that need by providing a guaranteed execution layer that by being open source and publicly verified, etc., can guarantee everybody partaking in it that uh, the transaction will happen exactly as it should. Yeah. So you don't need to trust it. Um, but then, I mean, that works for purely on-chain transactions. But as soon as you are having offline components in it, uh, it basically happens off-chain, like if you have any real-world uh, exchange of goods happening, then okay, maybe the payment happens on blockchain, but the actual exchange of good or the existence and the properties of the good itself, that is not on the blockchain, right? That's offline. So their trust becomes again relevant, but we can use the blockchain to um, make verifiable some parts of Utu's uh, mechanism. So when we show you this information, uh, Paul trusts this uh, auto mechanic, then you can believe that or not. Um, but if we can show you um, a transaction on the blockchain that records that Paul's address actually created a transaction which says that uh, I trust this auto mechanic, 
then that is a provable fact on a public blockchain. Mm -hmm. And okay, they can still have done something wrong while recording <coughs> that fact, but yeah, okay, at the end of the day, there's always some, some point where it drops off, but at least uh, that fact was recorded and that is actually provable. So the fact that Utu shows you uh, this information, you can verify it and you do not need to trust that part in, yeah. in that sense. So we remove the need to trust Utu itself and um, yeah, and only leave you with the information, okay, your friend Paul likes this auto mechanic, so now it's your decision. Do you trust this, uh, this recommendation by your friend or not? Yeah. And that nobody really can tell you, right? Because only you can know whether you trust your friend Paul for that yeah. or not. Okay. Um, and, and, and when I think about it further, you can actually apply this to financial markets because this yeah. sort of is the basis of credit referencing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's actually, uh, Uto has a sort of specialized product just for that, um, okay. our creditworthiness API, which um, sort of applies the same mechanism, but tailored to yeah, lending um, marketplaces, uh, basically. And then also incorporating some of the more classical um, evaluations for that, like uh, credit scoring models and things like that. But Utu's, um, yeah, speciality here is again incorporating the social data to, the, to do that and not just those um, traditional transactional parameters. Yeah. Okay. And so the next question, you, you sort of touched on blockchain and so there's been a lot of hype and I admit to never really fully understanding why Bitcoin works as well as it does or why it's so successful as a store of value. But, you know, given um, the fluctuations in that space, there's been a lot of hype and a lot of interest in this space. Um, as somebody who's deeply embedded in the blockchain, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency space, can you just give us a sense of what a cryptocurrency is, what Bitcoin is, and what the blockchain is, in a way that you know is palatable to the average citizen? Yeah, okay, <laughs> that's always the difficulty, <laughs> yeah. and there have been uh, several attempts already. I'm yeah. not sure if there was any successful one, but um, basically the idea is that um, you have a ledger. Uh, I mean, in, in a very basic sense, every bank account is a ledger, right? Yeah. You just uh, record the history of transactions of uh, money coming in and going out. And um, the current balance is just the sum of all of that. And now the blockchain idea is to take this basic data structure, the ledger, and put it basically in public so that everybody can verify um, the correctness of uh, that. And now the difficulty is, okay, how do uh, all participants agree on the same view of one ledger like okay uh, somebody says okay you had uh, one in payment and two outgoing uh, transactions and another one says uh, no I actually had two incoming and then two outcome coming so who's right um, so that's the difficulty in, in uh, decentralized systems to get to that consensus of what is the state now um, and blockchain uh, particularly the Nakamoto consensus um, introduced a means of, of doing that in a viable way, meaning that it's guaranteed to work, okay, under some conditions, but the conditions can usually be met uh, in reality, um, by doing this proof of work um, scheme 
which uh, basically requires that uh, the verifying nodes or computers basically that check the transaction histories um, do it in a way that is computationally costly um, and that basically prevents that somebody can quickly enough um, or cheaply enough um, run enough computations on their own by, for example, renting uh, many computers um, to sort of um, overwhelm the network with their own opinion, if you like. I mean, I'm <laughs> terribly simplifying here, <laughs> but I hope uh, the idea gets a bit clear um, that, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a technology that removes the need for a centralized authority like the bank and yeah and enables all the participants themselves to uh, agree on on this ledger history or many ledger histories and when you have that then so that's bitcoin basically uh, then you can transfer money uh, in this way between people i mean money in the sense of um, virtual money like bitcoin um, and then okay how do people value Bitcoin itself? Yeah, I mean, you, you say you don't understand it. Um, they're simply believers. I mean, value can be created by just enough people believing in something <laughs> and then being willing to pay a price for it, basically. And that's really all there is to it. Um, so at, at the end of the day, it's also some form of trust into the system itself. Um, whether that's appropriate in case of Bitcoin or not, I don't know. I mean, nobody knows, right? It's just, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's just as long as there are people who do, then, uh, then there's value. So that's just yeah. that. But then the interesting thing is you can extend this whole mechanism um, and instead of just using ledgers for transferring money, you can actually um, record sort of computer instructions in the same way. And... Um, now you can create recipes of what should happen if somebody does a particular type of transaction and you have sort of a recipe on the blockchain saying, okay, then this happens and then that happens and et cetera, and that's called a smart contract. And so um, what you gain is not only decentralized sending of money between um, participants, but also the sort of trustless execution of code um, or yeah, it's also called um, automated contracts or, yeah, or just smart contracts. So basically computer programs. And that then can be used to build uh, decentralized applications. And that's what Utu is doing uh, in part. So part of our system is traditional centralized. Um, if you integrate Utu, then you will typically use our APIs or SDKs. And the SDKs talk to our API, which is a centralized service, but then that part that I mentioned where we record the transactions of who endorses whom, that is actually stored on the blockchain. And there's also a reward mechanism and a token mechanism for that, etc., which is also on the blockchain. So, so it's a hybrid system and uh, some parts of it are on-chain, mainly to implement the rewards and to, to make it verifiable. And some parts uh, are off-chain, like the actual social graph itself um, and the uh, AI algorithms that we use to try to learn who trusts whom for what, as yeah. I explained earlier. Yeah. Okay. And a sneaky comment is it all seems to be Bitcoin's value is similar to the art market's value. 
Uh, which market is by you? Art market. Oh, art market. Yeah. <laughs> well, many times you just <laughs> don't fully understand why it's so valuable. Yeah, yeah. sure. I mean, um, yeah, I don't know either. I mean, I'm sort of... Uh, not very knowledgeable in arts. I mean, there are definitely some art uh, pieces that I really like. I'm much more into music, which is yeah. also art. Um, but whether something would be commercially successful or not, that's a different question. Yeah. And then you have the intersection now with NFTs, which yeah. um, are blockchain currencies representing pieces of art, yeah. if you like, uh, where both of these worlds come together. Yeah. And... Um, Yeah, there's a big hype right now, but how to know whether something will actually be valuable or not, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> for, for me, the, the, the whole thing seems to be compounded confusion, because <laughs> I don't fully understand why Bitcoin is so valuable, um, and I don't fully understand why some artwork is so valuable, uh, and so it's sort of stretching the limits of my understanding. Well, there are some basic things, like, yeah. I mean... Uh, the amount of total Bitcoin that ever exists is bounded. Yeah. And most of Bitcoins have already been mined. Yeah. So that means that as long as the system is alive, or as, as long as people are valuing Bitcoin somehow positively, yeah. uh, the value is likely to grow because yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's deflationary by design. Yeah. So the only way that it could really lose value is by... Uh, yeah, much fewer people uh, believing in it, yeah. and um, I don't really see that. I mean, so far, popularity is still growing worldwide, yeah. and I mean, okay, China is now banning cryptocurrencies, but even that could only, you know, cause a dip of a few weeks, and then the system came back, or yeah. the market came back, and that shows that um, even a huge uh, state like China cannot uh, you know diminish the value of it by by banning it basically mm. and so it's, it's just by now it completely has a life of its own and mm. uh, there's always enough people believing in it to keep the market value up and make it go up more yeah. so you can say it's a sort of snowball scheme but but at that level then what is not a snowball scheme so why do people value gold so much because it's so pretty I mean no. yeah. okay maybe gold is really pretty but Is it really so pretty that you would pay tens of thousands of dollars to have a lot of gold in your house? Yeah. Uh, maybe not, or at least not for many people. But still, those same people pay this price for gold to uh, have it as a store of value yeah. when they need uh, a store of value that, um, and they don't trust their bank or other securities or whatever. Why do they do that? Because they know there are other people who do that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same with Bitcoin, really. Yeah. So... Um, also, it's kind of too good to be true because Bitcoin is really convenient. I mean, yeah. if you buy gold, then okay, yeah, you can say, okay, gold has always been valuable in all history of humankind, but it's also something that you need to store somewhere securely. And if you travel around with it, then you are risking being searched by police and uh, whatever. So it's something to worry about. While with crypto, um, yeah, crypto you can have basically um, without having anything on you. Uh, you only need uh, internet access at some point. And then you need to remember your key. And of course, there's uh, various helpers with that. So there are mechanisms that uh, can reconstruct a Bitcoin key by just remembering a more simple password or 
um, or number of words. So that is made uh, such that um, you can even you know keep your wallet in your head, and there's nothing that could point anybody <laughs> to you ha having that wallet. So that makes it very attractive for people, particularly in places where they simply cannot trust. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the police or anybody really yeah. uh, to, to keep anything secure. Yeah. I guess, but it also just kind of points to the root of any society. We just choose to trust certain actors and choose to trust certain institutions and currencies and all of that, ultimately. I'm um, sorry, can you repeat that? No, I'm saying it basically points to the root of all societies. Like, we've, we function on trust. Human beings, like, one of the things that defines society is just that trust factor yeah and so like we trust our government to handle the currency a certain way we trust um, that other people will do so basically many things have value because of convention real estate has value because you know there's a fixed amount of land um, yeah. and the population is growing so it's like a similar concept to bitcoin um, gold all these things have value just largely due to social convention Yes, absolutely. I mean, with governments, the situation is a bit special because um, many people actually do not trust their governments, but they don't really have a choice because the government is just the one that happens to rule this uh, country, you know, yeah. or whatever country we are talking about. Um, and in some places, it's easier to change the government than others. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, ultimately, if you're not in a privileged uh, position to easily change the country you're in, um, then you are basically stuck with your government. Yeah. And um, But even if you are in that position, I mean, the cost of changing countries is uh, yeah, not, not for everybody. Um, I mean, it's not only economic costs, it's yeah. also cultural, uh, yeah. emotional, yeah. Uh, personal things, of course. So... People cannot just switch governments um, as they can switch, yeah. um, I don't know, their bakery or something. Yeah. So that makes it a bit difficult. Um, and in a way, um, yeah, there, there are really two systems to compare here. So the trust that we are tackling with Utu is really that trust where you have the freedom of choice. And you have a choice to make and you can trust either this or that or maybe you don't trust anybody and you do nothing um, but in terms of government yeah you whether you trust or not you're stuck with it so you don't really have a choice yeah. there and um, yeah using blockchain or other similar technologies to help with some of that um, can be yeah can be viable I mean maybe it works uh, okay you mentioned land registries uh, that's a thing where many people thought that in a place like Kenya where there's a lot of corruption and particularly um, in the land registry there's always conflict about uh, who has the, the rightful title that um, blockchain might help but it only helps when you have an agreed upon initial state for it right because yeah. you have this problem of in creating the initial state of the ledger yeah and that's where the issue is, right? Yeah. So, I mean, as long as you have agreed on that, okay, yeah, then the technology helps to uh, to have uh, verified uh, proper transactions after that. But, yeah, but how do you get from the current state to having that agreed, agreed upon. upon state where you need to agree yeah. upon the ownership of 
absolutely everything, right? Yeah. Because otherwise your ledger is incomplete yeah. and therefore worthless. Um, yeah. So it has to be complete. And yeah, uh, yeah. many people okay. don't really see that happening yeah. anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, you basically explained the biggest problem we have with the land, just agreeing on the <laughs> current state. Who owns what today? Okay, so we'll take a break forward from our sponsors. In 2020, every CIO has been forced to jump 10 years into the future. The unprecedented market volatility and demand on IT services have accelerated the digital transformation of every financial services company. Blockchain technology offers a rare opportunity to radically streamline and simplify operations saving organizations millions of dollars and enabling them to flow trillions of dollars worth of transactions across the globe without boundaries while keeping them secure. Markets have become increasingly sophisticated, but still run on antiquated infrastructure rails. Blockchain is part of the next wave of innovation, shaping the financial services industry, supporting decentralized applications and multi-party workflows, while preserving confidentiality and opening up new revenue streams. Accenture, in partnership with VMware and Digital Asset, is already developing these solutions. These antiquated rails have been designed in isolation. Silos of data are duplicated across organizations with no way to interoperate. What's needed is a system designed for multi-party agreements that can coordinate every step of the process in real time while maintaining the highest level of privacy. Blockchain and smart contracts provide just this, a single source of truth maintained and enforced in real time. But for financial services companies to take full advantage of blockchain, they need partners they can trust with their critical infrastructure. VMware, Accenture, and digital asset working together deliver enterprise-grade, at-scale blockchain projects with the highest standards. VMware Blockchain is part of a digital foundation, a future-ready architecture that allows flexible, rapid deployment of decentralized applications in the cloud, in hybrid cloud environments, or on-premises, more securely and consistently. In fact, only VMware blockchain with DAML smart contracts provide privacy between participants in the same workflow. Now, even competitors can collaborate on a distributed ledger with both trust and privacy, a disruptive new way of doing business. The Australian Securities Exchange is replacing the clearing and settlement solution underpinning the entire Australian equity market with a modern platform based on VMware blockchain and DAML smart contracts. We believe that the combination of digital asset and VMware Blockchain's expertise in smart contracts and distributed ledger technology, coupled with VMware's heritage and capability in delivering mission-critical enterprise-grade software and solutions, is the right partnership to assist us in modernizing and transforming Australia's financial market infrastructure. CIOs today are looking for future-ready, bulletproof solutions. When you're modernizing multi-party workflows, there's only one enterprise-grade choice. VMware Blockchain, Digital Asset, and Accenture working together. This question is, Uchu raised one of the most successful ICOs um, in the country. Um, so can you just explain what an ICO is and what that process looked like? Yeah, sure. So an ICO is basically an organization um, 
like a company or um, foundation or whatever um, issuing some sort of their own uh, cryptocurrency um, like Bitcoin, but mostly not running on their own blockchain layer, but on an existing one like Ethereum, uh, which is a smart contract platform. And then you can use smart contracts to implement other tokens. And then ICO means initial coin offering, meaning um, you're just launching this new currency and you're offering uh, it to people to, to buy, basically. And um, yeah, so you exchange one currency for the other. Um, most of these uh, sort of ICOs happened in 2017. There was a huge uh, ICO hype and... Um, yeah, nowadays, uh, the system evolved a bit um, into what is called now IDOs, like initial uh, decentralized offerings, um, where you do not use a centralized platform to do the initial sale, but you put it on a decentralized exchange. A decentralized exchange is, again, um, a decentralized app built using smart contracts that actually enables exchanging one currency for another on the same blockchain or even across blockchains nowadays. Um, so yeah, but ultimately, you're creating a token and you are selling it to some people. That's the basic premise, and yeah. that's what Utu did also. Um, so we have, um, I mentioned earlier, we have a mechanism on, on blockchain that um, implements our reward scheme uh, for users as well as um, verifiability. So we actually having not one, but two tokens to do that. So um, yeah, a token is a currency also on, on, mm. on blockchain. It's basically a synonym. Um, there are some subtle differences uh, that uh, yeah, usually people use when they say coin or token. Mm. But uh, for this discussion, it's not really relevant. So yeah. if I say currency or token, it basically mm. means the same thing. So Utu has two. Um, tokens. One is Uto Coin, which is what we uh, launched, and uh, that one is sort of a monetary utility token that can be used um, to pay fees on the platform, but it can also be exchanged with any other tradable tokens uh, on Ethereum right now, but also Binance Chain and probably supporting a few more chains uh, soon. And then there's Uto Trust token, which is a non-tradable uh, reward for sort of good participating in the platform, uh, meaning that people can endorse service providers, as I mentioned earlier, so they can say, okay, you like this driver, so you create uh, what is called an endorsement in our um, terminology, and then you stake some Uto Trust tokens on it that you have earned earlier, and then that means, okay, if somebody um, is shown a recommendation because of your endorsement and then follows that, and then also endorses, then that means your first endorsement was sort of successful. And that's when we reward you for that, meaning we create some new trust tokens and assign them to you. And so by endorsing good providers, you're rewarded. And mm -hmm. if you endorse bad providers, um, yeah, maybe because somebody paid you to do so, then we actually penalized uh, because if uh, that recommendation is followed, but then they say, no, I didn't actually like it. Um, if this was a bad service, then uh, that means that uh, there's sort of a disapproval. And then 
we will actually reduce your stake um, because you recommended a bad service. Yeah. So uh, that's and in that way we try to um, yeah incentivize people to be truthful yeah. and recommend only what they really want to recommend and yeah. warn <laughs> against the the other things. Yeah. So it's best, yeah. So yeah, and then you can change that trust token to to coin yeah. uh, to some extent and thereby convert your reward to yeah, any other currency ultimately that you can use to do whatever with. Uh, so yeah, we are basically in that way um, letting our users participate in that whole system and also reap some of the uh, of the earnings that that brings themselves. Yeah. So it's not only Utu that profits from that ecosystem, but all the users. Yeah. <clears throat> so basically, if I if I'm to paraphrase what you're saying, it's the way the the the, the coin offering works is that there's a monetary cash value, but you're also in effect um, paying people for participating in the recommendation engine. Yeah, sort of. Okay. Um, okay. The payment is very indirect because yeah, but, yeah, you, yeah. what we assign is Uto Trust token first and then, then they can yeah. convert it using a market mechanism yeah. to Uto coin. But yeah, in a way, yeah. um, yes. Uh, but the idea is that not Uto alone creates the value of the whole ecosystem, but yeah. basically all the participants together. And Uto yeah. coin is designed uh, so there are some more. Um, rules around Utocoin for yeah. how it is used and yeah. the the flow of Utocoin using fees etc. into a pool that can be used for conversion and so on. Um, so it's designed that uh, Utocoin ultimately reflects the total value of that um, ecosystem. Yeah. Okay. So it's basically rewarding the ecosystem for yeah. making the engine better. Could I ask how much money you raised in the offering? Um, yeah, it was uh, between two and three million euros. Uh, sorry, dollars. Okay. Um, yeah, so that was sold in few private and pre-sales, and then uh, in a public round for which we built um, a quite successful application. Yeah. Uh, so we built a small decentralized app to do the public round itself, yeah. and that one. Um, yeah, that was a, the the smaller part of it, but uh, it actually ran out in like less than five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> the, wow. the public round was closed basically, yeah. and the app worked very well. Um, if any of our listeners are planning to do an ICO, we are happy to <laughs> to, to talk. Yeah, uh, because we actually um, yeah sold this up as well. Yeah. Um, a few times. Okay. Since then as well. Wow, fantastic. Um, and then the next question is around um, state-backed stablecoins. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's sort of a bit um, contentious uh, yeah. because, I mean, okay, there are some advantages of blockchain tech that are sort of side effects of the real premise. I mean, the thing is that if you have a centralized authority, um, like a central bank controlling a currency then that's sort of contrary the idea of having a decentralized system that yeah. nobody can control. I mean, yeah. the basic premise of Bitcoin is really that you do not have a centralized authority which controls Bitcoin. Um, it's, con yeah, it's controlled by the algorithm, and the yeah. algorithm can be changed, but only by community consensus. Yeah. Uh, so 
it's not at all easy for any one party to initiate change like that. Um, in terms of organizations that issue their own currencies like Utu, um, yes, we do control Utu coin to some extent, but most of it is also in a smart contract. And then the longer term plan for Utu, as it's outlined in the white paper, is also to have a community-controlled governance mechanism that controls the basic parameters like the pool sizes or the reward uh, mechanism, uh, sorry, the, the conversion mechanism from Utu Trust Token to Utu Coin, for example. So even Utu does not control these basic aspects um, of the ecosystem. And so the question is, why do central banks want their own cryptocurrencies? Um, why can't they just, you know, use the already existing ones uh, like Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever? And probably because they want more control. So yeah. they will typically build cryptocurrencies in a way that they control and thereby, yeah, it's, it's really more like a fiat currency in that <laughs> sense, just using some different tech. Yeah. And they also really wouldn't need to use decentralized tech. Yeah. Um, the side effect that I mentioned is more like, okay, um, having built Ethereum and blockchains that are compatible with it, we have sort of um, a standardized tech layer now where people can write smart contracts in Solidity and um, you know that, okay, uh, when any organization puts out a decentralized app using Solidity smart contracts, then you know how to interact with it. Um, it's standardized. Um, you can build libraries for it, whatever. So it's really an interoperability layer in, in, in some sense. Yeah. And if a central bank wants to yeah, be interoperable with others, then yeah, using blockchains might just be a way to implement that, even though yeah, there could also be other means to do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, in a way, uh, yeah, to be honest, personally, I don't really understand why they're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm a believer in public blockchain yeah. uh, layers like Bitcoin, Ethereum, but, okay, not even so much in Bitcoin because I think Bitcoin yeah, was really version one of that whole tech, uh, but it's also showing its age with proof of work and the huge amount of energy it yeah. takes, etc. cetera. Uh, Ethereum is also still on proof of work, but there are slow but steady steps towards Ethereum 2, which will use proof-of-stake, so will be much more energy efficient. But there are also already existing blockchains that uh, already use um, proof-of-stake and that are much more efficient right now, like Avalanche or Elrond, Polkadot, um, Harmony, just to name a few. Um, so, yeah, it's possible to already build stuff and uh, be on an efficient layer right now. So um, I think in that sense, even Bitcoin is a bit outdated yeah. and I'm not so sure how long it will survive as a tech. Yeah. But um, yeah, the centralized ones, I don't know. I'm just not a believer in centralized okay. stuff in that sense. <laughs> the, the, the funny thing about them is I'm, I'm realizing they're testing the limits of democracy because in theory, this is how currency should work. Like you vote in a government... The government is representative of the people and it's that much more difficult to actually change policy. But the reality of how democracy and states work is a lot more authoritarian than people want to believe. Um, right. that, yeah. yeah, that's 
Um, well, the devil is always in the detail, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, yes, if you have a perfectly working democracy, then it would be perfectly fine to have a centrally controlled everything, I guess. Yeah. Um, but that is almost never really the case. I mean, yeah. even in the West, you have uh, issues of corruption and stuff, yeah. which play out a bit differently than maybe around here, but yeah. um, it's still there. Yeah. And... Um, Blockchain, in a way, okay, some people argue it gives power to the people, but it's also not perfect, of course, because yeah. both in proof-of-stake and proof-of-work, you need to invest resources to really um, participate uh, in, the, in the system. So if you want to mine Bitcoin, then you probably need to buy mining hardware, which is also not cheap, yeah. etc. Okay, you can also have a very small stake in a mining pool, yeah. But then, yeah, your stake is going to be very small and richer people are just going to have a bigger stake. Yeah. And and that's just the same in, in proof of stake where you don't have the indirection um, through hardware or mining pool stakes that you need to buy. But there it's just, okay, either you put in the stake or you don't. And mm. to put it in, you first need to have it. So, um, yeah, rich people are, again, uh, an advantage here. Yeah. So... Um, Yeah, nothing is perfect. Nothing is, uh, yeah, the big equalizer here. Yeah. Um, for that, I think, um, yeah, I think tech can help facilitating some of these things, and I think blockchain tech does make it easier for yeah. um, small people to participate in some way. Yeah. But yeah, to to really equalize on a bigger level. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way around good governance, yeah. basically. Yeah, and, and the fundamental problem, yeah, like democracies all around the world, like they just, it's, it's, it's like a conundrum because democracies work better where there's trust, um, but you need trust to have, uh, but you need the democracy sort of to build the trust in the system. Because um, right now, if you have an, an, a system which, is oppressive to some, they will never believe in it. Um, and they will never believe in the democracy. And so you sort of, each is a condition for the other to occur. Yeah, and they just true. don't know how you break that. Yeah. Um, I mean, okay, it, in different places, uh, these things have developed differently. So mm. in the West, there was traditionally more trust in bigger institutions. Yeah. Maybe because traditionally they used to serve their people comparatively well. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, if you go centuries back, then the church, I mean, that's generic, like the Christian church, but also um, Islam or hmm. whatever, um, yeah, churches provided some sort of trustable institution for their members and their members agreed on some sort of code. So when you as a Christian knew that you would be dealing with somebody in a faraway place, but they're also Christian, then there was some sort of connection because of that institution um, instilling some sort of trust. And then later um, you had other institutions like big banks or whatever that, yeah, many people in the West still trust their banks mostly, but this has also um, probably reduced a bit uh, <laughs> since the last crisis and so on. Um, and then in other places like Kenya, where you only really had 
ja, colonial institutions, big, uh, as, as big institutions. Um, and then the aftermath of that, basically, um, yeah, there's just not a lot of trust um, yeah. into into any kind of institution yeah. here. There are maybe a few exceptions, so maybe most people trust Safaricom to yeah. provide some good level of service. Yeah. But um, yeah, even Safaricom is not trusted in every sense. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then there's just much less trust, institutional trust around here. But then also in the internet networked world we are dealing more and more not with big institutions like people did in the west traditionally but there's just more and more peer-to-peer -peer stuff happening or maybe yeah. you are dealing with a company a small company which is halfway around the world or whatever and so even in in, in the west um you suddenly have marketplaces that require different levels of trust and that's um Yeah, that's again the basic premise for, for Utu's mechanism that we think that, okay, institutionalized trust is getting less important and personalized trust um, is just getting much more important because yeah. of that. Yeah. So in a peer-to-peer -peer world, um, yeah, there's no, no go-to place that can tell you which exact peer to trust or not. Yeah. Um, either you have some personal connection or some indirections maybe so you maybe don't have a friend who recommends this peer but maybe you have a friend of a friend mm -hmm. and okay that's that's one friend remote so to speak um, so do you trust that friend of a friend well I don't know maybe it's better than nothing um, or maybe you trust them in some cases and maybe not so much in others I don't know um, that's really what we want to learn yeah. but um, Yeah, I think that's really as good as it can get in a peer-to-peer yeah. -peer world. Okay. Wow. And it's so funny thing you mentioned, like there's a study I read some years back that basically trust is higher in a micro level than it is in a macro level in almost any society. So I guess in a way that's how you're solving for that by starting yeah, I mean, small communities. If, at the end of the day, if you ask people um, to use... Jason's example, Jason is our CEO. Yeah. <laughs> He always asks, like, okay, uh, you're looking for a babysitter yeah. and you're seeing 500 five-star reviews of a yeah. particular babysitter, but then you see one review of your sister yeah. saying she didn't like that yeah. babysitter. You, Would you book them or not? No, you wouldn't. Yeah, most yeah. people wouldn't. <laughs> Because that one personalized information yeah. is worth so much more than yeah. hundreds of Yeah, basically yeah. random people's opinions. Yeah. And yeah, that's just uh, true in most uh, situations. So yeah, um, yeah okay. that, that's really all there is to it. Yeah. Um, and to wrap it up, um, what advice would you give um, other CIOs, CTOs, and up-and-coming people in their tech careers generally? Oh, okay. That's a very open-ended one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. Um, well, what lessons a, have you learned? As a, as a techie, yeah, yeah. I, I like to stick to the tech side of things. Yeah. So I don't really know how to run a company as a CEO. I've yeah. not tried that. Um, but as a tech person, I can only say don't believe the hype. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay, in a way, we are dabbling in some hypey things like blockchain. Yeah. But on the other hand, we thought really long and hard about uh, how blockchain makes sense for us and uh, and 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 how it can be useful for us and 
the exact um, value that it can create for our ecosystem. So um, we didn't just, you know, copy paste some white paper and jumped onto the hype. Um, we, yeah, maybe we could have raised more because uh, when we started thinking about this, that yeah, the hype was still bigger than when we actually got to it in the end. And um, yeah, the, the thing is, okay, the tech needs to make sense and understand the fundamentals. Um, that's also why I usually advocate for some basic computer science um, learning for techies. Um, I mean, I know there are a lot of uh, courses out there now that allow people to shortcut, and that's cool to get started and so on. But even if you don't go to uni, please read sooner or later some basic textbooks. <laughs> um, because, yeah, you don't want to reinvent the wheel all the time. Almost everything in computer science has already been thought about at some point. Yeah. And, yeah, technologies come and go, but the basic principles stay. And they sometimes get a new name. But yeah. um, if you know the history, then you will recognize what is what and yeah. uh, don't waste so much time. So, um, yeah, understand the fundamentals, uh, figure out what makes sense for your use case, for your product. Um, yeah, it's okay to use hype sometimes to get some traction or get some funding uh, or just even motivate yourself. <laughs> but at the end of the day, yeah, it has to make sense. So that's okay. really what I want to tell the techies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you so much, Bastian, for appearing on the podcast. It has been a lovely and fascinating conversation. Yeah, thank you very much for yeah. having me. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it for today. Our next episode will be a deep dive into clinical informatics. Um, looking forward to seeing you then.